This episode is brought to you by Cinekit List. Cinekit List is an online community built to save you money on video production gear, offering exclusive discounts on top brands like Light Panels, Innovative, Quasar Science, Easy Rig, and more. I personally am a member and I have been for a while. I've bought several production items from this group and the pricing and quality are unmatched. They have exclusive deals such as the 50% off Quasar Science Q-Lion LED lamps that are currently running through July 31st. CineKitList negotiates discounts on cameras, cinema lenses, or large equipment orders so you don't have to. Reach out directly to Travis at CineKitList.com to find out how you can save. And, and Kevin, don't forget the Facebook group because there you can become a part of the conversation and take part in the monthly giveaways at Facebook slash groups slash CineKitList. This is Kevin. And this is Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we have part two with Randy Greenberg. Yeah, we're not going to hate on you if you're going to do part two first, but I would recommend that as soon as you're done with part two, hit up part one right after. It's just as good. It kind of leads me to something that I've wanted to... I wanted to make sure we touched on on this episode was what exactly is an executive producer? Because I think the general public and then various levels of filmmakers have different opinions on executive producers. And I, I would love to hear your take on what an executive producer is. Because on the Meg, well, you were an executive producer. And that's why I wanted I to, was. you know, that's why I want to specifically ask this so, question. So a lot of, I mean, a, a, a lot of times executive producers are money people um, as you know, they're the ones that brought the money to make it happen, or they could be the studio executive who uh, agreed to distribute it or for a foreign, a foreign sales company could be a, the head of the foreign sales company. I mean, they, those kind of things happen. Um, uh, so that's, that's a lot of what the executive producer is. Um, sometimes it could be, the lead star, right, could also be an executive producer because without them, you know, the movie doesn't get made. It could be the director because without them, the movie doesn't get made. Um, you know, so um, contractually, sometimes those, you know, those credits get watered down because, uh, because you know, some people can get credits without doing much of a job. Um, but a lot of times it's financing and distribution oriented. Um and um, and that's and, and that's why I'm an executive producer. Uh, I, I I choose to work on the the financing and distribution side and the marketing side. Gotcha. One one thing you mentioned, you know, literary agent contacted another literary agent, and, and you hear it a lot. I hear it a lot of at least in uh, where I'm at, and I'm sure you do too. Which is people that don't understand why they just can't send you or another producer or an agent or somebody a script. You know, like. I hear it all the time. Why is it that me can't just send Randy Greenberg a script and expect you to read it and then get upset when you say like, I can't just read you a script that you send me. So can you explain why that's important? Sure. I'd love to. Um, so, and just, just to clarify, my wife's literary agent was the same literary agent for Steve Alton, the author. So it was, you know, it wasn't literary agent to literary agent. It was oh, okay. the same person. Gotcha. And I, and I was dealing with my wife's literary agent for her. My, she's a children's author illustrator. And um, um, her name is Ruth Briggs Greenberg, and she's got two books out there um, with two more coming. And, oh, nice. Uh, but her agent at the time was the same agent for Steve Alton. 
And that agent who I'd been dealing with on the business side for my wife called and said, would you take a meeting with Belle Avery? Because, um, because I, I think that, you know, I think you should meet her. And, gotcha. and the agent was right. And it was great. So, um, but so I don't look at unsolicited material, um, right. which means that if somebody just sends something to me, expecting me to read it, look at it, comment on it, you know, I don't, I don't do that. And, and, and on LinkedIn and emails that come to me, if emails that come to me with material, I just automatically delete. I just right. delete it on LinkedIn because I have no, con- I have no control over what people send me either a direct messenger or, or on any of my posts. Uh, what I, uh, what I do is I immediately write back and say, I don't look at unsolicited material. Um, you know, please send it through an agent, a manager or an attorney. Mm-hmm. And the reason is this, is that I, I don't like, um, I don't like being sued and, right. <laughs> and, and I don't know, I don't like, I, I don't want to see the inside of a courtroom, I, you know, on, you know um, I, uh, well, I, on my own stuff, I, I've been on the inside <laughs> of a courtroom as an, as an expert witness. Um, well, quite frankly, other, I don't blame you for the, for not yeah. wanting to see. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. Who wants to be on the inside of a courtroom, right? Now, Unless we're filming it. So, part, right. And p- part of my, part of what I do as well is I'm an expert witness uh, in entertainment litigation because I've been, I've, I've, you know, as, as you said, I have 20 things there, which makes me old, by the way. And um, I don't feel old, but I am. And um, uh, well, I'm not that old, I guess. I'm not 80. <laughs> um, but um, so, so as an expert witness, I wind up in the courtroom sometimes. Uh, but I get paid to do that. Not, 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 not as a defendant where I'm trying to, you know, explain what the hell happened and why this person is wrong. Right. Um, so, uh, so the, the reason is, is, is it somebody that sends me something I don't know that that person really created that. Hmm. I don't know that they really wrote it. I don't know. Like they, I mean, they could have taken it from a friend. I mean, I, I just don't know. Right. And, and, and most people probably don't do that. They probably did actually come up with it, but there's all, it, but so that's one thing. The other thing is there's so many projects that are actually floating around in this business, whether television or film or streaming or what have you that are similar. Um, I happen to be working on a project at the moment where there are three other competing projects that are out there Mm -hmm. that are, that are based on the same idea. So it's really the first one to the starting gate kind of right. The first, the first one that gets all their money and all their casting and, and gets it, gets, gets started is the one that's going to win. Right. right? But so some, so you could get sent something that already kind of is out there. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I could get sent a screenplay from somebody who's, you know, who thinks it's a really great idea because they read a history book and they thought it was really great. And they said they, they just they they felt compelled to write a script. And if I'm still wor- if I'm working on something that's similar and I read that, read what they sent me, they can sue me for the idea that I might use their ideas out of that script for the actual project I'm working on. So. Right. Because I don't know and I don't want to know, I never read the material that comes to me unsolicited. I send it back, delete it, archive it, because LinkedIn also doesn't let you delete 
uh, direct messages, right? You mm-hmm. have to kind of, you have to archive them and, and, and that, so that's the best you can do and never look at the archive. Uh, and um, so, but my response is always, please have an agent, a manager or an attorney send it to me. Because what I require of an agent, a manager, an attorney is I, is I say, have you vetted that this material is from your client? And how and does... Get, and you get how a big would, pause. And you get a big pause. <laughs> and those that know what I'm talking about will say yes. Mm-hmm. And those that don't understand what I'm talking about, I'll never hear from again. <laughs> and how, how does a... a a literary agent or an attorney or, you know, an agent or whatever, how do they go about, you know, you, if you, how do they go about vetting that particular project? I mean, is that just a conversation with their, you know, the person they're repping about the project? Are they also doing some kind of backend due diligence and searching and, you know, stuff like that? What, What do you know what that process is? In theory, it's a combination of both, right? Because the agent in the end has to, rep and warrant that that material that they're soliciting on behalf of their client is original and whole in whole or in part from their client. Right. Right. It's part of the agreement that's actually signed for an option purchase. Right. Right. And that the person that is selling or optioning it is rep and warranting that it is theirs in whole or in part. Right. And so Usually agents don't, again, agents don't like to be sued either. Agencies don't like to be sued. They're licensed by the state in order to like, so all of these things kind of preclude somebody from just saying, sure, I'll represent you and just sending something on, right? There's usually some sort of, of, of filter that that representative is going to put that material through or that person through in order to confirm before they actually send it on because their reputation's at stake as well. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, which is also why people don't, you know, reps don't take on just anybody. Right. Right. You know, reps, representatives take on people that are committed and good and look at it like a job, even if they have another job during the day. You know, I right. know, I know a manager who has several clients who have day jobs, you know, as drivers or, uh, you know, in office jobs, but they write at night and on the weekend, anytime they're not in the other job, they're constantly writing and waiting for that moment where that second, the side gig makes more money than the, than the main gig and the right. side gig then can become the main gig. Right. right. Um, so representatives, you know, and, and the representatives only get a piece, a portion of whatever the, the, the client gets. So, their job is to make sure that the the client has enough product flow that they make enough money off that client to keep the client. Uh, So that's also why they want to ensure that that client really is writing, making, coming up with, creating, whatever it is, the material that they say they're creating. So that's why I do it. It's another, it's another filter process, if you will, before it gets to me. And it gives me, you know, there will be things that will fall through the cracks. I mean, definitely, you know, somebody will represent somebody who really didn't write that or has plagiarized it or whatever, and it'll get sold. But those things get found out when you get to a a chain of title or you start, you start, uh, you start publicizing it. And then somebody else comes out of the woodwork and says, no, 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 no. I wrote that. 
right? right? So you kind of start to you kind of start to see that. But that's exactly why I don't look at unsolicited material because I don't want to get into any of that because my reputation's on the line to right, my right. development, you know, financiers and my product my my project financiers to the studios and the streamers and the networks that I'm pitching to to my clients like like my reputation's on the line. So I, all of that means something, which is exactly why I don't look at right. unlisted material. And then inversely with the studios, right? I mean, because they're not, you know, they want reputable producers at the same time that are going to approach them with projects. And so, you know, exactly. from beginning to end, it's all been vetted. It's all been looked at. And, you know, because even then, even though when it gets to the studio, like you said, the studio is going to put it through its own, you know, rigorous process. And like you said, chain of title and all that yeah. stuff. And that's why we have E&O and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly right. I, I can't tell you how many times like indie film come up someone and it's like, yeah, they don't have, you know, insurance or they don't or they haven't done a chain of title. And, you know, where some guy goes and makes an indie film and he thinks he's going to sell it to Universal or something like that but he has no paperwork or yeah. no releases. And, you, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? You know? Right. Like, and that, it, exactly. And that goes back to the very first, very first question you asked me, right. Which was about, which was, you know, what do I teach first? Right. Contracts. Right. Cause again, you go out and you make this and, and, and you can, and, you know, and the, again, when I started the barriers to entry were huge because the technology was expensive. Well, now you mm. can make a movie on your, you can make a movie on your, on your Samsung. You know, or your iPhone. And, and because of that, people do that. And then they think, you know, we've got a movie or a TV show and let's go sell it. But you never went and got contracts from any of the extras or, yeah. you know, releases for their likeness. And like you, and they're, they're just things you have to have that the business requires. And if you don't follow it, you can't sell whatever it is you have. You can't sell it. Yeah. And it's something as, and something even as simple as someone didn't sign their name the same way they printed it Correct. can throw off a contract, you know, cause yep. like when we were, we were delivering a, a film to Ambi and it, there was one contract that had been looked, there was one um, COE form, you know, certificate of engagement that had been, the, the print was different than the signature. And we had to basically go back and have that redone, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a serious thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And no. it can, it can, it can mean the difference between you, you can get to the, you know, the, the analogy in football, you can get to the one inch to the goal line mm -hmm. and, and have gone, you know, hundred, you know, 99.9 .9 yards and you can get stopped at the goal line because of you're missing something. Right. And then that's when, that's also when, the people that were involved in making it can hold you as the filmmaker hostage. Oh, yeah. oh you need this? Oh, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have to pay me a lot more money. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, or you're going to have to give me 50%. Like, I, and I've seen it. I, I, I've seen it. Hey, listen, it happens, you know, the, the whole story behind Watchmen um, from years ago. This is well over a decade ago, where it was originally a movie at Fox, and a production that Fox was going to do with a, a production company that was based at Fox. And uh, Fox turned it down. And the production company took it to Warner Brothers. Um, and Zack Snyder made it at Warner Brothers. And I think it was 16 weeks before the movie was due to come out. Fox sued Warner Brothers and enjoined the release of the movie, meaning that 
they uh, filed an injunction to stop it from coming out. So mind you, Warner Brothers had paid for the movie to be made, had started marketing it already, and Fox stepped in to stop them from moving forward, right? Millions of dollars had been spent and all went back to a contract that the production company that was based at Fox had that said, if Fox passes on any production and the production company takes it to another studio and that studio says yes, and there's been a change in material a change in material clause, which said like the script changed, the director changed, the act, lead actor changed, something like that. Mm -hmm. Then the project had to come back to Fox to be reevaluated before oh, the net, before the other studio could agree, or before the producers could could say yes to the other studio. Well, the producers never did that, and they <sighs> did have a change, a material. There was a material change. I forget what the clause is called. But it was a material change to the prop, to the creative, and and they never brought it back to Fox. Fox successfully sued Warner's with ever, without ever getting into a courtroom because they had to settle it quickly because yeah. millions of dollars was this, like somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy or eighty million dollars was at stake, and Fox wound up getting, I think it was twelve and a half percent of all the revenue, right? In perpetuity. In perpetuity. Right, because of that clause, but it, it we you know, and then it, and then and by the way, that means also the new television show that's on HBO, uh, right? Mm -hmm. Unless HB unless Warner's went back to Fox and paid them out. Jeez, right? which is a possibility, especially which is an absolute possibility. Yeah, that's absolutely. You know, it's something I would have done. Like, can can you know, can we settle this that you guys are no longer involved? How much money is it going to cost? Right. 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 And, 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 and the studios do that. I mean, but, but it happened to a studio. It's happening right now. I read a story that came out last night or today, Will Smith and uh, Warner brothers are in another, they're, they're in a lawsuit, but they just got sued by, I think Serena Williams dad is suing them based on a project that they have called King Williams that, that, Serena Williams' debt, which is based on him, which supposedly they don't have his right to actually make this movie. Oh, now, I don't know what the real story is there, but I right. just read it. It's like, so yet again, there's a rights issue. There's a contract issue. So it goes right back to your first question. This is why I teach the business side. You have to have all of this buttoned up and, and be really professional so that nothing like this happens. And it, it, it may happen anyhow, because right. we're a litigious society and everybody thinks, especially with entertainment, that there's a million dollar, that there's a million dollar settlement to be made somewhere. I'm gonna, but, I'm gonna have but, to dive into the Serena Williams dad project because yeah. I actually know of a production that took place over in, uh, I believe West Palm Beach with him in, I wanna say January. And it didn't have a studio attached at the time. And it almost didn't, the shoot almost didn't happen because of th there was rumors of a project with a studio happening and there was a conflict. So I'm going to have to dive into that because I actually know uh, the crew that worked on You know on the that. other project, yeah. I, so, I, I, mean, I know that, the know, other project, again, yes. And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to so, say it here, you know, but I know there are it. Thousands, you know, look, there are thousands of people that work in this business and everybody's trying 
to get something made. And a lot of these projects are similar. They're similar action movies or similar dramas because, you know, look, the human condition in our human state is very similar across cultures and across languages and across barriers and national boundaries and, and oceans. Like we all, you know, we want to be loved. We want to love, we want to connect and everybody's trying to do all this. And, and there's a lot of times where there are very similar projects. And, and again, that's why you want, that's why you want your contracts to be as, as tight as they can be, because that shows you're really professional. And, and, and when, when the studios, when you get into negotiations with the studio and you start dealing with business affairs, the easier you make it on the business affairs team or the, the legal team, that they, they tell their production counterparts that these filmmakers, this producer, they were really on it. They had everything like, you know, if you find anything else with them, know that it's going to be a really great process. And that goes a long way. Yeah, that kind of comes back to, you know, having a couple conversations with people where they're talking about, you know, uh, when you see in these, you know, message boards and everything, you know, even on LinkedIn, when you see groups and they're chatting about stuff and you say, well, you know, and they're asking for what do you do? And you say, well, first thing you need to do is hire yourself an entertainment lawyer. And they're like, well, I don't have the money for that. Then I'm like, well, then you need to make some more money. Like before you do this. Like you have to have representation on yourself in some way, even if they're not passing a script along you yourself, like you talked earlier, how even yourself, the company needs to have a contract with you. And so like it starts square, square one. And you've got, you've got to have a little money saved up to even just go do your own pet project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, you, 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 it's, you, you, it takes money. I mean, the old, you know, my dad told me this, you know, when I was a kid, it takes money to make money. Yep. And, but that doesn't mean it takes a lot of money and whatever you're going to spend on a, on an entertainment attorney, if it's $600 or $6,000 or $60,000, whatever it is, depending on how, how complicated the legal is for that project, it's a great insurance policy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, to know that you have the rights that you think you have, that you have the time you think you have, that the amount of money you're going to have to spend to ensure that you have these rights is very specific. Like all these things are like, it gives you peace of mind. And then ultimately right. when you, when you sell it for distribution or licensing that, you know, it, it's going to give your acquirer peace of mind too. Yeah. Sorry. I cut you off there, Kevin. Oh, you're fine. I, I was just more asking a uh, personal curiosity question to, uh, to, go double back to the Watchmen um, conversation. Do you, to your knowledge, do you think this, I mean, do you think the studios settled so that way they can be peaceful later or are studios that cutthroat that they're wanting, that they're, they're not going to play nice with the other studio in, in the case, like I said, the, the Watchmen lawsuit. I mean, they had a clear cut lawsuit. They got 12, 12 and a half percent. Do you think they settled? I think that was a number. I, you know, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I think that, you know, I think you have to look at these businesses have lives of their own and it's really important for them to maintain, if you could call it civility with their competitors. Yeah. That's what I, that's immediately what comes and, to my mind. And I think it, you know, you know, Fox certainly would 
could have a problem if they didn't settle or make at least a good deal or the best deal they could with Warner's. Because if Warner's ever came to them and Fox never settled, then Warner's wouldn't settle. And then you're horse trading, right? You know, you're you're like, okay, we'll settle this if you'll settle that, right? So there's, I mean, there's definitely some of that, but, but you know, ultimately bad blood is not a, it is not a, a corporate thing. It's a personal thing, right? Corporations don't have bad blood with other corporations. People within corporations have bad blood within, with other people. So um, I, I'm sure that they figured out an amicable way to settle and to carry on, you know, but that may have still, that may still be, okay, we won't take 12 and a half percent. We'll take seven and a half percent, but you can get, you know, or we'll take 12 and a half percent, but instead of it being from dollar one, you can get your money out, but only cash on cash. Right. So if you put $10 in, you get 10 back and then we get 12 and a half. Gotcha. Right. So, and you know, and don't, you know, and, don't stick us with ordinary accounting. I mean, there's a lot of ways to make it work. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's uh, kind of what I was envisioning myself. Um, Cause I, I kind of look at it like set life when, when crews on set, I mean, there's how many times do you hear of a, of an issue with crew member a and crew member B and, Typically, it's just a person-to-person personality thing, and you kind of just have to work through it and come to a mutual agreement that only benefits everybody else. Yeah, that's exactly right. It makes me, you know, right there, two instances of Warner Brothers having, like, contract issues. It makes you wonder. It's almost like, is that a problem within Warner Brothers? But that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) No, 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 it's not. I just have, it just happened, it, it just so happens that it happens to be, Right. This, you know, and and at this moment, I mean, there, you know, Paramount's had its issues. Sony has its issues. Universal has um, come out with. Universal. There's been an issue with Universal recently. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, everybody and 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 you know, each of these businesses, you know, they're exposed because they do a lot of this stuff. So you know, and pe- again, people come out of the woodwork too. I mean, look, and I don't know any of the facts of this case, right? But right. there's a possibility that you know that Mr. William, Mr. Williams actually made a deal. And maybe when he made the deal, it was kind of a sweetheart of a deal. And now that he knows that Will Smith and Warners is involved, he wants more money. I, I right. don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe the person he sold the rights to or he licensed the rights to, he doesn't like anymore. Right. And it may not even be Warner brothers and Will Smith that are the issue. It's the person that, you know, that, that, that they actually got it made, but he doesn't like them anymore. I don't know. Right. I mean, it could be it could be a plat a platitude of things, but I don't think it has anything to do with Warner Brothers. I think it has to do with, you know, the the, the various personalities that are involved and something is something's off. And I sure. don't know what that is. Sure. Well, one thing we've talked several times about that, you know, you always hear from uh, people is that profit waterfall on the back end. Nothing. You know, I don't want to. 100% tell everyone every single step of that. But, you know, once you've made your movie, okay, and you've, if you've done it properly, you've got a cam account, they're going to send out money to the proper parties. And, you know, the studios and the, the exhibitors have all taken their profit back. How does after that money's come out, because it has to be said, like, your money as the producer is coming out last, correct? And then is there 
any other structure to that money that's coming out at the end after the exhibitor and the distributor that, you know, you're putting other people's deals, back end deals and stuff, a part of that. Right. So is there anything that I'm missing as far as, you know, how you as a producer get paid on that structure once the movie's released? Well, hopefully you had enough of a fee within the actual physical production that, you know, that, that you could make a living, right? Mm -hmm. The back end is only in the event uh, that there's a significant enough of revenue stream to have paid back the production. And, you know, nine out of 10 times, there's not a significant enough revenue stream to pay back the production, right? Mm, Film is notoriously difficult for the actual equity, the equity owners of the project to make all their money back, right? So, um, and not all, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have, you know, a, a collection account management group, you know, that's collecting all the money, you know, first of all, good for you. Um, but all of the studio projects don't have that. Mm. The studios collect all the money and mm. their collection and accounting is all based on the uh, definition of gross receipts and expenses that are within your contract. And they're all standardized, right? The writer, right? It'll actually say, you know, it's all based on, you know, the, the distribution fee is, you know, is based on exhibit, whatever it is. And the expenses are based on exhibit, whatever it is. And the exhibits are the writer that are the things that never change. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when I say never, there are also exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, those things never change. So, um, you know, when the money comes in, you know, the cam account, the cam collector, you know, gets a small, you know, half a percent, quarter of a percent of whatever comes in. And then, you know, next after that is the distribution fee that goes to the foreign sales agent to the extent that they haven't actually collected. Um, if they've already collected, then that money is not there. It's it's minus that money. And then, and then the next money after that then goes directly to any loans that are, you know, that have been provided. So the bank gets its money first or banks get all their money first. And then, and then to the extent that there's any money left after that, then the equity participants get their money. But you might have, you know, if there are, you know, if there are, uh, if there are box office bonuses or unit sale bonuses or uh, what have you, those could be within there too, based on whoever might have those. Um, But as producers, assuming that the production is paid off, that distribution fees are paid, all any of the P&A is paid back, that the banks have been paid off, and the equity participants have been paid back all the equity plus their you know, 10, 15, 20, 25% return, whatever's in their contract. If there's still money after that, then it's a pair of pursue event that everybody gets their percentage of whatever money's left after that. You know, the financiers get somewhere between 50 to 70% of all that remaining money. And then the talent would split the remaining 30 to 50% based on whatever percentage they're supposed to get. So as a producer, if you have two points, two and a half points in the back end, and there's still money after everybody's been paid back, then you're going to get two and a half percent of whatever's left. And, and if you're lucky enough for that to happen, that's one in 10, then congratulations. And, and the other nine of us, you know, we're always, 
you know, we're, we're waiting. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Interesting. So but then, the, but I then mean, it's also, but then you have to look at like, well, when do you get paid? You know, you got to look at those contracts. Like, you know, when, when the collection account, you know, collection account may pay monthly for the first year, quarterly for the next two years. And then after that, it will pay once a year. Right. You know, so you could be waiting for money for a while. Right. Even if you're owed money, you could still be waiting for it. Right. And this is, you know, this is where you hear a lot about, you know, well, I took less up front to get more on the back end to help them the project or as opposed to, you know, taking my fee out front because, you know, you hear all the time, get your money paid up front if you can, yeah. because the likelihood of getting anything afterwards is very minimal. That's right. That's right. So, you know, one thing I just want to get to before we wrap up and we kind of touched on it a little bit in the pre-call the other day is, you know, just the current state of affairs with COVID. We kind of talked a little bit and I'm really interested to, you know, kind of touch on that again and just see where you think and how you think we're going to come out of this or what the the next phase looks like. I mean, we kind of said the other day, we all feel like there's going to be another wave. And what does that look like, you know, for the studios and the indie guys? We, we said the indie guys are going to have a harder time than the studios. And how can we just touch back on what you think that next phase is going to look like and how the studios and stuff are going to deal with this? Um, well, like we talked about the other day, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a traffic jam, right? Mm-hmm. No matter where you're at, you know, no matter what city you live in, it's like a really long traffic jam and you're in the traffic jam, but you can't see where it began and, and you don't know how far it goes behind you. And, you know, so the cars that are at, f- at the front, so the productions that are at the very front who have to continue to go right? They're a week away from wrapping, right? They were a week away from wrapping when they had to shut down. They're a month away from wrapping when they had to shut down, you know, or they're, you know, they're, they're big enough that they have to, that they're going to continue or their studio picture or whatever. Those things are going to move forward and the studios are going to do the best job that they can in order to keep everybody safe. Like um, uh, Jurassic World is shooting in London and they're moving everybody to London now. And they're hopeful that they can start production in a couple of weeks, I think two or three weeks. And, um, and, you know, they've talked about somewhere, you know, it's been reported they're going to spend like another $5 million. Well, that's the studio can throw money at it, not mm-hmm. not throw money at it, but they can spend the additional amount of money, right? To keep every with the protection equipment and the medical personnel on on, on board and, and um, you know, staggering start times and the increase the number of shooting days and the wrapped food and, you know, the makeup kits and all. I mean, everything that will come from, you know, out of the procedures, then there's a dollars and cents attached to the new procedures. And studios can do that, right? Some studio movies that were about to start or were in early pre-production or were just about to start pre-production, they will rethink whether or not those movies need to be shot this year, right? And that's just from a standpoint, that's just just from a standpoint that it takes they have they're at less of a risk to just stop production because of insurance well studios studios self-insure so they don't go out and and get insurance you know for Mm -hmm. individual productions they they take it on themselves 
and um, they may add insurance for the lead actor or the lead actress or the lead actresses, right? Or the lead actors. Mm -hmm. They might do that uh, in case they get sick. But for the most part, they're going to self-insure and take whatever and take their chances. But any movie that doesn't, and we talked about this the other day, any movie that, in movie talk terms, any movie that doesn't have to shoot now or in the next six months, they're going to push it. Yeah, there's, right? there's it's they're going to punt on they're, they're going to punt it and put it back together next year. Yep. Because studios are in it for the long run, right? They're not in short term is irrelevant. Now, from the actual filmmakers and actors standpoint, anybody that can weather this this issue, now economic as well as 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 well as the pandemic. If if they've got enough money in the bank, that they can sit out for a year, year and a half, two years and not worry about it and not have to go on set. There are people that are going to do that because they either have underlying health conditions or they're scared to go out or whatever it is. There are people that will do that. Anybody that has to have a job and needs to get paid is going to roll the dice, right? And the reality is for the most part, 99.9% of us are going to be fine, right? We're, we're even if we have it, we might get sick, we might get quarantined. So it really, it's not about death, right? Or a serious health issue. It's about if you get it, the production has to, like, what happens to the production? If it's a, if it's a, per, you know, if it's a, if, if it's a production assistant or somebody in the production office who was never near set, you might not have to shut down. Right. right. So it all becomes a hierarchy, hierarchy and the priority of, of, Who's the person that gets who who got it and what effect do they really have on the physical production? And if you have to shoot shut down, who's going to cover that? And a lot of independent productions aren't going to, you know, the financiers aren't going to take it on. In fact, the easiest thing, you know, that we talked about the other day is that banks won't loan, mm. right? They won't loan unless you have a, I'm going to make it up. You have a $10 million movie and you have all the money and you have an additional $2 million. So you don't have a $10 million movie anymore. You got a $12 million movie and you right. got the two extra million to cover a shutdown. But the bank still may not lend because banks aren't in, they don't want to take over your movie. They don't want to get paid, you know, and, and, and um, uh, completion bond insurance companies don't want to pay out on claims and they're not going to cover a COVID claim. It'll actually be excluded. So you're not going to be able to get coverage to cover it. So only the movies that desperately have to shoot will shoot. Only the television shows that desperately have to shoot will shoot. Anything else will get pushed. And, 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 and that's how it's going to start. And then as productions start to get rolling and people get a little more, people behind and in front of the camera get a little more comfortable with production in this way, in this new way, in this new COVID uh, veneer, um, as they get a little more comfortable, they'll be willing to do the next one and potentially the next one. You know, and hopefully we'll get to a point where it becomes standard, commonplace. Everybody's comfortable with it. There's no issues that we don't really have to shut down anymore. That because we've figured out ways to 
to test really quickly and, you know, get somebody out before they get, before they test positive, things like that. Like it'll, it'll get a little easier as time goes on. And then eventually, eventually we will have a, a vaccine, which isn't really a vaccine. It's kind of like getting the flu shot. The flu right. shot doesn't prevent you from getting the flu, but it helps lessen the effects of when you get it. Right. Right. Cause it's, yep. cause it, it's a, it's a virus. You can't get rid of it. You could just make the effects of it better when you, if, if, if you should get it. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, and, and it should be set. Like the reason the banks don't want to have to, don't want to fund your movies because if they, it's not a house, they can't repossess it and then sell it, you nope. know, and make it's their money done. back. Yeah. So you're basically, you're basically stuck. I mean, do you feel like the streaming services, especially like I, I, I know, I remember like at the height when this had just happened, I had heard somewhere and I don't know how much this is true where it's Netflix had said they basically only had new content through the month of July. And I don't know how accurate that is. Do you think services that are streamers like, you know, Netflix and HBO max and stuff will have much more of an onus to get out there and get production done. So they keep up with the new, their content cycle as opposed to studios that, you know, maybe we're primarily doing theatrical and then doing ancillary and stuff. Or do you think they're just going to be like, Hey, we have this library of content. If we don't get everything back out there and moving right now, that's just the way it is. So I'm going to actually interject real quick and double down because I read an article. I had to find it, but five weeks ago saying that most major platforms, the Hulu's Netflix's of the world, if they, if they don't, pick back up they won't have new content until q2 of 2021 so that's what i also wow. read because uh, if you find that article if you find that article send it to me i'm gonna i'm I, gonna search for it i hadn't read i hadn't read any of that but but it makes sense right um you know it's every, whatever content was being made for whatever the platform or the exhibition or the distributor is you know there's an issue Right. The question is, how big is the issue and when does the issue become apparent? Right. Um, whether it's a streamer or a theatrical, I don't think there's really a difference. Right. OK. OK. Theatrical, you know, theatrical, though, at the moment. Right. Is, you know, the, the gap, the gap in viewing is right now. Right. It started when when theaters shut down to when theaters start again. That's been the gap in viewing. And hopefully they, they won't theaters won't shut down again. But they might. You know, we never know. Right. But in terms of in terms of you know Netflix, and let me put it to you this way: Is it going to matter to the 167, 168, 70 million subscribers to Netflix if Netflix doesn't have anything new for like you know anything substantially new for six months? No. Okay. So I, then you just I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, so then you, as far as I'm concerned, you answered. Well, you didn't answer the question you were asking, but I think you're answering the question that ultimately is the only question that matters, which is mm-hmm. if it doesn't matter to 170 million people, if there's a six million, if there's a six month gap, and they're still going to pay the you know the 10, 99, 11, 12, 13, 14, 99 a month, then it doesn't matter. Right. right? Yeah, because right? The, and the, the same thing. Paid, yeah. The same thing with HBO Max and 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 the others. The right? archive is so large that 
it could keep people busy. And they, I would imagine internal conversations there, they are almost banking on the world to continue to progress forward, which means people are going to be out of their house more often. And they've watched, they've watched so much content the last three months that they're going to not want to watch content. So that means whatever they have and whatever is in their, you know, watch list, their queue is going to expand longer. I think it's a possibility. I, I think that we're still going to watch content and we're still going to watch more content than we did pre-COVID, right? But mm-hmm. we won't be watching as much content as we did at the end of March and all of April, right? right? Like, I mean, let's be perfectly frank. If if the Tiger King, and I'm, I, I can't even believe we're talking about this Go right now, but it's a perfect example. Had the Tiger King, had we not had COVID, I am 100% positive that the Tiger King would not have become this cultural touch point for three weeks right and we would never and 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 i would say the word i would say the word tiger king to you and you would be like what are you talking about right right but i say it to you now you know exactly what i'm talking about because Mm -hmm. we were all home doing nothing right except twiddling our thumbs you know or trying to do something or stay sane or whatever it was and we had so we started looking around and one of our friends talked about this or a family member. Oh, we should watch it. Oh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm watching it. I can't believe I'm still watching it. I can't believe that these people did this. We start talking about these people as if we know them. And then all of a sudden we're done eight episodes in. And we're like, holy crap, right? This is just, this was a train wreck that we watched, <laughs> right? And I wouldn't have watched it had I not been home. Right. Right. And it was also a situation that was so insane it kind of distracted us from the insanity that we ourselves were going through bingo right it, it fit the world so, that we I, lived in right so so what i'm what i'm saying is i think that i think you're absolutely right i think people are getting out more now but i think that people are still watching more content than they were in february right mm-hmm. or january so there's still more so there's still more to look for there are still a series that i haven't watched that people keep telling me to watch Right. And there's so many streaming services now. Right. Or not so many, but there's more streaming services. So there's more to watch. So, um, you know, I don't think that this gap in production, which was leading to a gap in new content, is going to be so extreme as to cause pain to any of these services, at least in my opinion. And they'll fast track a few of the projects that they know will garner, you know, really good attention. And then once again, they'll punt on a few things and film in January, do a quick, quick uh, edit and release in March. I mean, some of these, some of these companies have that ability. They'll say yes to some, to some um, uh, reality series stuff that they may not have said yes to prior because the reality producers could get it, literally deliver it in, you know, in 60 days. Yeah, true. You know, so, uh, so I think there'll be some of that, but, but everybody's had a disruption in their, in their production schedule and everybody's dealing, you know, every outlet is dealing with, you know, what do we do and what's the real problem and is it a real problem or, you know, um, you know, or what should we do? Wow. Yeah. Well, interesting times ahead for sure. Yeah. R- Randy, we, we want to thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, just a phenomenal sure. conversation. And we're, we're very grateful that you, uh, you hopped on for, well, you know, a pretty solid hour and 45 minutes at this point. 
Uh, <laughs> I, it went by that I quick. Just <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's uh, it's fair to to end the conversation before we get to the two hour mark, just because um, we we know your time is valuable, and we just you know once again we appreciate uh, all the the insight. No, let's stay on because I'll bet you that I'd be the only one. <laughs> so I, I want I want that award. No, uh, listen, I'm I'm appreciative you guys reached out and um, and you know this is a you know the connection here. This is a LinkedIn connection, right? You know, right. Yep. I reached out and said, you know, how can I help? And you guys reached out and said, hey, would you do this? And and I said yes. So I'm I'm honored and and thrilled that you. Um, um, that you asked and, and appreciative that you asked and, and hope that, you know, something I said, you know, if it connected to at least one person, then, then mm. that's what matters. Yeah. There's, there's yeah, definitely true, a lot of, a lot of bullet points in this episode that, that, you know, are going to garner a wide variety of our listeners. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. We appreciate you. Have a good day. No problem. We'll talk you soon. Too. Bye. Bye. Kevin. Josh. It's the end of the podcast, so what does that mean? It means that if you're listening, we want a follow and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Check us out at fgipodcast.com as well. Yeah, and follow us on the social medias at FGI Podcast. Hopefully you've gotten something out of the episode, so we really appreciate the support by leaving your likes and reviews. <laughs>